0: Hello and welcome to Pookie Ponders, the podcast where I explore big questions with brilliant people. Today's question is, what outcomes matter most for looked after children and how can we make a difference? And I'm in conversation with Krista Parsons.
1: Hi everyone, Uh, my name is Krista Parsons. Um, My current role is um, I'm the uh, project lead for Caring to Learn at Lincolnshire County Council. Um, but I've been a teacher for 30 years and I still class myself as a teacher, even though I've um, been working in a different role away from schools for the last three years. But prior to that, I was head teacher in three schools. Um, And um, I've worked around the country and uh, worked in London for 15 years. Um, And then I've worked in very tiny rural village schools as well. So I've had quite a varied uh, career. Uh, all in primary education. Um, you can probably tell from my accent. I'm not. I wasn't born in London. I was born in Bolton in the northwest, um, but uh, sort of have lived in different places. I currently live in in Nottingham, and uh, it was sort of a happy accident. Really, found myself working in Lincolnshire, which is a really interesting county, a massive um, geographical spread, uh, and also really widespread. Uh, uh, range of schools, really, from the coast, rural, some sort of urban areas as well. So it is really very diverse um, in the types of schools uh, and children and families that we work with, really.
0: So tell me a little bit, um, before we go into the question, tell me a little bit about the Caring to Learn um, project. What is that? What does it do? Yes, yeah, well, it was actually, I, I feel I, when I got
1: this job, I just felt like this is amazing, actually, this opportunity. Because um, Lincolnshire is a, a great local authority, actually. And um, because of that, they work as what's called a Partners in Practice with the Department for Education. And it's about developing innovative practice, really. And they do get the opportunity to uh, research and try new things. And uh, and Caring to Learn is uh, one of these innovation projects um, as part of Partners in Practice, really. Um, and it was um, came about, I think, really uh, with a collaboration between uh, Kieran Barnes, who's the virtual school head in Lincolnshire, and um, uh, and John Harris, who is the head of regulated services, and saw sort of a link between, you know, social care and education, really, um, uh, to to kind of answer this question: How can we improve outcomes for our looked after and previously looked after children? Um, and we were lucky to you know receive the funding from the dfe to sort of launch this research and uh, and this sort of way to trial new and perhaps different approaches really because practice uh, you know in general across the counties is very good and um we've got some great schools and um you know a good and outstanding um children's services but it really is how to make the difference really what extra can be added to Um, you know improve life chances and we've got key performance indicators of you know reducing exclusion improving attendance improving educational outcomes and those are key factors obviously but um, it's about you know how do we improve the lives really of um, our children in care um, and and children who were previously in care so we um, I sort of was really fortunate I think to land this role of as what well is project lead project manager um coming from a uh, very keen to have an education back someone with an education background leading sort of the development um and then I've got a, a, a tiny team really myself and one other we focus full-time on this Rebecca Fleming who's a uh, as a practice supervisor we know our early health team with sort of many years of experience uh, working you know more on that sort of early health and social care side really so sort of joined together that approach that joined up approach to really see what we could do differently or uh, try new things really to to help uh, support everyone who works with our uh, children in care
0: you've already alluded to the idea there that when we think about outcomes for children, quite often we're thinking about educational outcomes in their narrowest sense, but actually Mm. um, caring to learn and the work that you do looks so much broader than that. So how do you decide where to focus your efforts? As you say, you're a tiny team serving a huge area. What matters most?
1: Well, we we were really lucky to work in the development stages with um, uh, UCL, um, Professor Claire Cameron and, and sort of focus on um, social pedagogy approach really um, and, and if people aren't uh, aware of social pedagogy it's really about a holistic approach to education you know uh, education in its widest sense really mm-hmm. so bringing in you know um, looking at things holistically you need to you know you need to think about who, who are the people that can affect this and uh, and we came up with this idea um, um, that we stappily titled the triad of success which is really about home um school and again in its widest sense home setting in its widest sense and services agencies everybody else external to those how those three groups work together equally um and um you know are on the same page and and they communicate effectively and they understand each other's point of view and, and things like that and we one of the things we've we I think you see everywhere really is that everybody you know social workers schools um carers they were all you know doing the best and and working really hard and and really got the heart and the soul into um you know doing the best for children but they're often working in parallel like this rather than you know really be understanding each other's roles and and sort of communicating fully and, and working equitably really and that was one of the things as well we kind of Uh, In lots of research, it's highlighted that really interestingly, you know, foster carers will say they they feel like a lesser partner, you know, in in that term, that perhaps they, you know, they do their job of of looking after the children and providing a home. But um, sometimes they feel that, you know, their voice isn't heard as strongly as other professionals. And they often uh, say this, that, you know, because other people are called professionals, that it seems that their opinion matters more or their voice is heard more. Uh, and that was a really interesting uh, uh, thing to hear, actually. And, and so we've tried to avoid using the word professionals to talk about other people, because, um, you know, one of the things we have found out is our carers are amazing and they are the experts in in the, you know, in these children. They live with them at all, all yeah, 24 hours a day. And um, so to really kind of raise their profile and... and um, and hear their voice and give them you know make them feel that they are an equal partner in that sort of uh, triangle really and um but also i think coming from schools i had an interesting perspective that i felt schools were quite low in this pile really because one of the things that obviously is key is safeguarding safeguarding and, and making our children safe and and uh, that's where this process starts really and um and so you know safeguarding is 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 the the goal to start off with, isn't it? But often it does remain the kind of key focus, really, um, that we've got children in a safe place. We've removed the you know risk, and we're we're, we're sort of putting them in in, um, in a safe and stable place. Um, and that's kind of sometimes where the conversation then stops, rather than um, right. We we we've, we've helped them survive now, but how can we help them go on and thrive? Um, and so yeah moving that conversation on moving our aspirations further and higher is really what we are focused on as well so that was kind of where we started so we did things differently in that for instance we have a whole training program which we uh, 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 have available for schools children's services and and um, and carers but instead of having sessions for teachers sessions for social workers sessions for foster carers we have everybody together um, I mean currently it's all virtual but um, prior to this everybody's in the room hearing each other's stories listening to each other's points of view sometimes raising an eyebrow <laughs> you know perhaps thinking, oh you know that's not my opinion you know and, and and sort of bringing that you know that little bit of um, a challenge in the room and and I'm being able to work through that sometimes in discussions and and, and and certainly making links and building networks and um, and building understanding of others' perspectives and points of view and challenges, barriers and successes. So I think bringing everybody together in that way has been one of the key things we have found has been very very successful um, in what we've tried to do for the last three years really. So we really you know we really say now that's what it's got to be. It's got to be everyone together in this um, and physically together. Or, virtually together um so that they can they can share and understand each other better really so that's one of the things we did we also uh it, it was kind of three-pronged attack so we we have this kind of uh development program we have a good practice framework which we built um and we uh, again this is based very much on, on Claire Cameron's work uh, book which is called Caring Skills and Learning Placements and um, so we developed what are called the Caring Schools and Learning Homes Frameworks and their self-evaluation tools, really. Uh, you know, what good practice is in this area. And, um, and, and for schools, we built it into an award because um, it's something to work for in a developmental process. So we have a sort of bronze, silver, gold, three tier developmental process. Of working through this but it gives them a chance to look at their provision and practice for you know all of that, that it's not just about looked after children actually it's wider than that isn't it it's, you know it's all that huge group of disadvantaged children and families I suppose that um because what's good practice for looked after children is certainly good practice for all children really so we we really make that point and we work with all schools they don't have to have looked after children currently with them um because of course they could, you know, have looked after children at any point really. So we, what we like to say, that they looked after ready. Um, uh, but we do really stress that what's good practice for these children is good practice for all their children. We built um, uh, interrupt me at any point. <laughs> okay, <laughs> just okay, I'm, I'm loving
0: every, every time I, I have a question or a thought. You seem to just naturally go there, so I'm just taking it all on board. Okay, <laughs>
1: lovely. Um, we built. Uh, our sort of development and, and our principles on what on the cornerstone what we've called the cornerstones of good practice, and so it's it's kind of within Lincolnshire we work within signs of safety as our safeguarding structure. Um, so and, and that's strength based practice. You know it, it sort of asks us to sort of see where the resources are in the network and and, and work from that and build on safety. Um, so we kind of take that strength based approach. And then we've built in uh, you know to say well within that we're working in a social pedagogical way so we're looking at uh, uh, the lifespan and the whole uh, holistic approach to education in its widest sense uh, we've built firmly on principles of restorative practice relationship based practice the relationship comes first it's where everything stems from and that also you know where very early on we hooked massively into um the Rita Pearson TED Talk, Every Child Deserves a Champion. And um, and that run, you know, some of the things she talks about in that amazing TED Talk ring true for everything we were trying to achieve. It's about, you know, even just one trusting adult, one strong relationship can make the difference for a child's life. So we really, you know, that idea of relationships, but also relationships between uh, adults and adults, adults and children, and children and children as well and so you know how to make relationships better stronger and more effective in all areas in your in your work in school uh, in um in your meetings and in your families as well so that's what uh, relationship-based practice and then Uh, introducing this um, and and being really trauma aware being uh, looking at things through a trauma lens understanding what's happening for children what has happened for children have a better understanding of all that sort of area um, and being really sort of trauma aware in how we work with our children um, and their families and, um, and each other as well really so that's kind of what we build on there.
0: Wow, there's a lot to unpick there. So um, I'm going to start with some of the things you said most recently first, and I'm I'm interested in learning a little bit more in terms of the relationships-based practice, which speaks to what so many of us think we know but putting it into practice when you have a child maybe arriving in your home in your school who you don't know who has faced a challenging time building those relationships is difficult sometimes isn't it Mm -hmm. so what have you learned along the way and what are the kind of the the practical things that you advise and guide and have seen work that can help people Mm -hmm. with that well
1: Social pedagogy has this model called the three P's, um, which talks about what is your um, your professional, your personal, and your private selves. Um, and you know that really went true when we looked at that. We talked about this uh, to a lot of uh, professionals, I suppose, but you know, but a lot of. Uh, people we come in contact with because when you need when you want to build a relationship with someone you have to make a bond you have to share something of yourself so um people who are overly hidden behind their professional role that's that sometimes is a barrier to making strong relationships and uh, and i think um so it was really it's really interesting that we we do we ask people to kind of share a bit of their professional their personal selves as well and, and understand so so even from silly things like every time we meet you know we share we have a check-in and we share a little you know we ask these kind of icebreaker questions but with a purpose actually with an intent of saying you know let's you know we, we're here for a, a serious reason we're here you know we're here to um to do some really good work but actually let's have a smile, let's have a share share ourselves and let's make um, a link and a connection with each other as well so you know we often ask people what makes you smile before we start something or what um, you know what was the last thing you really had a huge laugh about or, or you know it, what's a what was um, what's something you're looking forward to what was your favourite a toy growing up anything like that to kind of kind of bring that into the arena and and say that actually um the connection is important we'll start building that first and then we can get on to the business as it were and and that principle is really important with children isn't it and again we've we've borrowed and and learned about and and we try and bring from lots of different models so in the in the sort of trauma-informed arena we um talk about um uh, dr bruce perry the three r's which is you know um uh, regulate relate reason so again it's about being in that really calm state but then the relationship comes next um and then we can get to the business part as it were but not until the other two parts are in place so we 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 talk a lot about that especially with foster carers as you say our, our school staff who who are working day in, day out with um, you know, children and young people. They might be angry, they might be distressed, you know. We've tried to ban the word challenging behaviour. Um, the challenge is for us, really, isn't it? The challenge is for us. And I think, um, you know, so we, we say to people, think about you know, uh, meltdowns and incidents, all these ways we describe these kinds of things, don't we, in schools or in homes. Um, as a real sign of distress in some way a a behavior a communication of behavior and and then take that step back we also um, uh, use ideas from therapeutic parenting from um, uh, Dan Hughes pace um, and and that idea of you know playfulness in relationships comes in it's really interesting all these you know when, when we're trying to bring some ideas together but lots of them overlap flow together really well actually because again pace talks about playfulness joyfulness and um, acceptance of people as they are um accepting of situations and then curiosity wanting to know more wanting to understand better and empathy and, and um and uh, so we say that for for everybody you know if you you know, in a, when I think of a time I was in a school and I was really frustrated with social worker because I wasn't getting the action I wanted or I didn't think they'd heard me or they did, they weren't taking my point of view. You know, and then now when I think about that, if I think about and I know more about social work and how, you know, and the structures, barriers, processes and all those kinds of things, I think, oh, gosh, I didn't understand half of what, how that person had to work and, and what they were dealing with as well and now I do know that I think oh because I've, I've learned more and I've and I have that empathy you know and I have that understanding uh the same with carers um I think as I had coming to work on this you know working in education for so long and I you know I think I was quite you know I wasn't too bad at it but um but coming to work on this project for the last three years has really taught me so much and I just think oh I I don't you know if I am do go back into school I shall have understand and, and work um, m- in much better ways now from benefiting this and, and I've thought well if I've learned that then I, I hope what we can, we're we doing in the in work we're doing with people is helping them now currently you know in the roles that they're doing really oh you're muted
0: That's that's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, get me, podcast host, <laughs> muted. I was making a great point there too. Right, so what was I going to say? I was going to say, um, obviously, there's that feeling there. And I think we always have this at every point in our life. Obviously, we're learning all the time. And if we could go back in time and talk to our younger selves, then we would have advice. Um, our younger selves wouldn't necessarily listen to that advice very readily. But I wonder if during these past three years, is there anything you've learned that you think your past self would find so outrageously unlikely or surprising that they probably wouldn't listen? What's really surprised you? I- don't know if it surprised me but it's a lesson I should have learned a lot earlier I
1: think and that is to really value parents and carers and they're uh, I think I don't think this is just a trait of teachers but we often think we are the font of knowledge we are the people imparting that we are the people who have the answers Uh, and often parents come to us and talk to you know and and, and ask us to help and, and for support about stuff in the home and that kind of thing um but actually, what I've learned from foster carers, from working with our foster carers, is that they are so um, full of insight and uh, and their knowledge, and and um, and they don't often think they are, you know, sometimes they think, oh, you're the person, you know, in this professional role. Um, but actually, what I've seen is, as well, what we've demonstrated, and um, I'd like to talk about that in a minute, so as in some of our studies, is that um, what has made the difference for academic progress has been the input of the carers and how that's um, been different and so I you know I often uh, I I, I can hold my hands up and I I think anybody in schools would probably if they were being really honest say you know at times in my school career I've thought oh no I'm sure I know best and then actually no I don't think that <laughs> you know and I think I think I've got something to bring but I actually think oh, I've got to listen to other people more and and I don't have to have all the answers and I think that's something um that people if they if they catch on to that quicker <laughs> they they work better as a team really don't
0: they I think that that's a classic example isn't it of how you need to know a lot to realize that there's more that you need to know <laughs> yeah, yeah and I think yeah that's and again it goes back to as you're saying sort of Dan Hughes and, and Pace really that curiosity and empathy always uh, in in your role so so talk to us about the work that you did around how um sort of academic uh performance was impacted on by what was happening in in the home
1: well we I mean as well as looking at all these kind of relationship-based things and the um, you know, and behaviour, and and, and all those kinds of aspects. We we obviously we wanted to look at how can we make a difference in in academic terms, um, and progress. And obviously, a big area um, where there's a huge gap, as it were, where we want to narrow the gap is is in the area of uh, literacy, reading, English. We found that's you know, trend through a lot of our children in care, and through the work of the virtual school. So we um, again we worked um as part with UCL who've run some great programs actually um one of the things they're on is a PALAC program which is um promoting achievement of looked after children and and we worked with them and we um worked with the amazing lady Catherine Carroll uh, and she um as part of that and she um we launched this uh program, we've called it Caring to Read now, which is about how to, a literacy intervention study really, Um, and in the first year we ran it, we ran, we worked with five schools, ten children from five schools, all in primary, uh, in key stage two, Uh, and the profile of the children we asked for were um, children who were significantly behind in literacy, or in reading, the, the sort of age expectation, but who didn't have a sort of defined a special need or additional need so I suppose what we were trying to uh, um, identify were children who were underachieving and, and who weren't where they should be really um, and um, and then we uh, so Catherine we again we brought together school staff and the care and carers and we worked with our educational psychologists um, um, and Catherine brought that group together and we started off with um uh, all of the children um, had a full assessment led by education psychologists, psychologist, and that we tested them for their um, phonics knowledge, their word reading, and their reading ages. And then we um, um and then and the psychologists put together a really in-depth report about that, that individual child. And then they worked closely um, with the the both the carer and the school staff together to really look at what that. Report was telling them, um, and then each group had to devise then a ten-week intervention that would be led in school and in the home. But again, we wanted to make because schools do literacy and reading interventions all the time, and and children make progress and have one-to-one uh, support and attention. Um, but we kind of wanted to move it away from, oh, this is a, a, a separate intervention in school and we might send her uh, some work home for the child to do a bit more or a worksheet or something else for them to practice. And obviously schools were already asking children to do and families to do home reading. But again, we wanted to try and make it different. So what we said was that the parents and the schools had to plan closely together the, the action. So if the child did say two 20 minute sessions a week in school, um, They had to work with someone they already had an established relationship with. So it could be a teaching assistant or a support teacher, or if they had time and they could organise it, the class teacher. Um, And then they would do two 20-minute sessions at home um, that mirrored the the things they were doing in school or or built on, but... um, they again, it wasn't just a case of sending homework. They had to be planned jointly between the school and, and the carer, um, and the and the intervention had to be focused on the needs of the child through addressing things that came up in the report. But they also had to address the interests of the child. So it was really important um, to build on what the child was interested in, and then it could also bring in some asca- aspects of what they were currently doing in class, their curriculum. So. The, the idea of pre-teaching you know so they had to again link up with what was coming up in the in the child's work uh, or curriculum and what could they work on and support there. so there's kind of three elements to it so for instance one child was mad on judo so everything was judo themed or football or the arctic was one <laughs> so everything was to do with that kind of thing so um uh, so that's how they worked and they did this Intervention over ten weeks, and then over a sort of four to five month after a four to five month period, and we checked in. We worked with them periodically. We obviously met at the start, and then we um, met halfway to find out how things were going. We shared some good practice, uh, about shared reading, all kinds of some tips and and um, and resources that people had come up with. But it was very much a bespoke intervention for that child, based on relationships on their need and their interests and um, and try and, and try to replicate that three-pronged attack that we uh, have, have defined and but and amazing when we they were tested again uh, at the end as, so as I say over about four or five month period and some of the progress we saw was absolutely amazing one child made five years progress in the five space years of five years progress in the space of five months. Now he was identified as being a bright and intelligent boy, but his reading was far behind. Um, and some children may, on average, the children in the study, uh, and it was very small, you know, we acknowledge that, but it but made uh, two years progress in a five month period. And, and, and all the interventions and work I've done in schools, I've never seen that much progress in a short time. Um, and out of those 10 children, uh, all children made some progress. And half of them made huge progress and half of them made kind of general, the type of progress we would generally see after an intervention. And we again, so we looked closely at what was the difference between the ones that made the huge progress and the ones that just made sort of okay care progress. And it was really um, the, the knowledge, skills and involvement of the carers. So all the carers for the children who made the most progress, the self-progress in years, were ones who'd engaged... With, our, with Caring to Learn from the start, who'd been on lots of our workshops, training programs, and, uh, and uh, been involved in all, lots of our events and things like that. So kind of got where we were coming from. Um, they were the ones who were most engaged with the school. They had, they had regular planning meetings. They attended all our meetings. They, um, uh, they worked as an equal partner, as we say, in that planning process, and they delivered faithfully their sessions every week. Um, and the, the the children who only made the OK progress, they had uh, some you know engagement from the carers, and uh, but they tended it tended to be more school led, and the school would have to send home the ideas, or would can you try this? Would you do this? Rather than it sort of being that equal partnership, and so that came out really strongly actually, that the involvement and the engagement and understanding of the carers really made a big difference and so we tried we did this we ran this um same study with um uh five new schools and ten new children last year and it was all going swimmingly and we were look, you know in our meetings and our uh, sort of um quality of findings so far where the children were making progress it was it was following exactly the same pat- pattern unfortunately then the first lockdown hit, and we couldn't carry out the final assessments so we didn't get the final data to to get the you know the the quantitative results to see exactly how much progress they've made
0: that's um, and
1: that's a shame thing. so but uh, everything pointed to it was following exactly the same pattern the carers most involved and the children, and the, the ones who stuck faithfully to the interests of the child, the needs of the child, and working closely and equitably with the carer were the ones that were making really, really good progress again. So, you know, that told us in many ways um, that it is important. What is how the car- carers is viewed? Are they an equal partner in this sort of process, um, or are they kind of an additional, a peripheral kind of uh, a person? Um, that how what how they understand the process what's going on and um and uh, you know and by that what I, I don't mean you know they weren't um super academic and uh, the carers or anything like that they you know they were just the ordinary ordinary people foster carers um, and one of our carers i know she won't mind me saying in particular said oh i'm terrible at reading my language, english is rubbish and spelling i'm rubbish at that but again her um foster child made two years progress because she worked closely with that so so it's um you know again we weren't sort of confirming that myth of or you know highly educated or middle class uh parents you know the ones that get the results in in you know in this case just people who were committed to the process and work closely um, with each other were the ones that made the difference really Um, and we called the children the children were were called junior researchers they they knew they were taking part in this uh, study to help them improve their reading um, but they also knew they were taking part in this study because we were researching how we can help lots of children and how we can tell other children what works and how they can improve their reading so they were called junior researchers and they were really enthusiastic to be part of it As always, they loved having one-to-one time. So they, you know, that was um, not an issue for them. They did love that. Um, What was an issue as always was, um, you know, the time these interventions happened, they didn't want to miss their favorite subjects or other school events that were going on. Um, And they, but they were, and they were really keen that uh about the stuff that they did at home coming into school and teachers really wanting to know what they were doing there and and were interested in that and how that translates into the classroom oh and the other finding that came out of that is their class teachers reported a massive increase in confidence in class um in other you know in other areas so um for instance one um teacher reported that a child who had never not in the time she'd had in a class he had never voluntarily put his hand up to and answered a question started to do that um and again that was a link from having the confidence some of the pre-teaching that was helping him oh I've already talked about this um you know earlier this week uh, in my study session um and st- so he started to do that so confidence in the class grew as well and so that, that was another really good uh byproduct of, of um what we found in this study.
0: And I think you end up in a very rapid cycle of positive reinforcement when that happens, don't you? I know certainly, So I have two daughters, one biological, one um, adopted, and um, the adoptive daughter has struggled with maths particularly. Um, And that's been a real challenge. And she'd got to the point where even just knowing she was in a lesson that was called maths before anything was said or done, she went into that kind of fight, flight, freeze. Um, And she's had really, really brilliant input just recently, one-to-one with a really great um, support staff member. And the difference that we seen in her all throughout everything that she's doing and her confidence at trying new things and speaking up and it sounds it doesn't sound silly it won't sound silly to you but to me it was surprising i suppose things like engaging in debate around the dinner table which has nothing to do with maths but i'm sure is related to she doesn't feel stupid anymore exactly yeah
1: that is exactly it because these you know small steps of success we just build on them don't we? we are feeling confident or belief in ourselves we have success in one area and then you start to believe don't you oh, I, I actually yeah i'm you know i'm not as daft as i thought i was or i can you know i i can do it and yeah we we really see that actually so that again asking people to you know um um a solutions focused approach really interestingly we we've looked at Kids skills um which um is dr ben Furman, and it's not well known in this country actually but um it's grown out of a solutions focused um approach um he is a, a psychiatrist in finland and um uh, sort of developed this work over many years um but it's, it's again it's strength based so it so often you know children are referred to him to with problems and be problem behavior and issues and things like that um but because of how solution focused stuff works you don't talk about the problem you you know it's problem free talk you talk about uh what you want to learn or what your current skills are and you build on those so uh it's really interesting we and we uh, kids skills has developed this into a 16 step program that sounds challenging doesn't it but it's, it flows really well um, and uh anyone listening out if you know if you work with children in any way you can use it in the home or school i would i would recommend you google kids skills and have a look at it because it's about how you turn a problem into a skill to be learned and so rather than saying oh this child is aggressive we it, again it asks about what um it asks the adults to be curious and look Beyond the presenting behaviours as to what it is, and then it asks you to work together on how you can turn that into um, a skill to be learned. So, for instance, a child who was having lots of meltdowns and was really, you know, um, I want, I want, um, I, I, I want that toy. Well, just you have to wait a minute because someone else is playing with it. Ah, you know, a big meltdown kind of thing. Or, um, can I have a biscuit now? Well we're going to have our tea in five minutes so you can have a biscuit later ah, you know and those kinds of things but actually that was translated into this this uh, child is not very good at being patient and waiting so the skill that they need to learn is wait um, and 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 um, we've got a great example of foster care who worked with a child uh, a, a four-year-old on this Um, so they again they did that step by step let's learn to wait for 10 seconds let's wait went to and she got some timers and all kinds of things like that and a big clock with a big ticking hand and let's go we're going to wait for we're going to practice waiting in all kinds of scenarios contexts. let's just practice waiting now for 10 seconds oh shall we go and do that yes but let's practice waiting before we do that so not talking about the issue at all oh you you have big emotional outbursts or uh you know you've no patience or any of that kind of thing you can't share you did a um let's just focus on learning this skill and and we said, oh that's the skill we're practicing at the moment and the child talks about the skill they're practicing and shares it with others and um you know we bumped into this child at um, a foster care conference we were queuing up for the buffet and he with he was with the foster care and it was a long queue and he turned to uh, rebecca my colleague and said oh i'm practicing he said he was kind of oh i'm practicing waiting this is waiting for a long time isn't it and he also said oh I've I've, when I start start I've got to get good at waiting because when I start start school soon there's a lot of waiting that goes on there (laughs) you know and it was just just a whole different way of thinking about something that uh, moves away from the child being the problem the you know the 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 behavior that nagging cycle how do we uh, you know work on that or how do we get them to stop doing that thing um and then you move on to what are they going to learn what are they going to develop it's almost you know we talk about teaching reading don't we we teach that in stages and steps and we kind of keep moving forward but we don't really teach behavior as such in the same way and 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 kids skills talks about that but i'm going i've just remembered what my original point was going to be um because you build on skills sometimes with older children in this process you say what's the skill you want to work on you try and get you know give them control of thinking about that and you might think oh it's I want you to stop hitting people every time they come near you you know but they might say oh I want to um I want to get better at reading <laughs> and you right but that's not you you might be thinking that's not the skill I want you to work on but you you know you don't do that you work you think about um and and to be fair someone said oh I want to grow I want to stop biting my nails, grow my fingernails, and again, you're thinking, "Oh, that's the least of the problems we want to work on," you know. But they uh, worked on that, and miraculously, because they get success and achieve in one area, just as you've described, they find um, that they uh, then improve in lots of other areas. And Dr. Jeff James, who I know you've talked to uh, in one of your podcasts, and you know, massive solution focused advocate he tells about a young boy, uh, no, about a a boy in secondary school who was on the risk of being excluded. I don't know whether he spoke about this, but he worked with him about being a better rugby player. And, you know, and and the school staff were probably thinking, what's going on here? This boy's about to be uh, permanently excluded because he can't stop fighting, you know, and, and that kind of thing. But he worked with him on an eight week program about how to improve his rugby game. And, and he didn't, and again, he that massively improved his behavior and the issues that was, they were seeing in school. he didn't He didn't get permanently excluded He didn't he, you know his amount of conflicts and physical altercations and things he got into dropped uh, dropped dramatically. and And so again, that, uh, for me that says that you know building success in one area, focusing on achievement in one area um, and and showing children the belief that they can achieve. Can be have massive widespread impacts really.
0: I think it goes back to what you were saying before about relationships building as well, though, isn't it? Because I think when we hear a child and we allow them to set the agenda a bit, then um, it, it does build that that trust and that connection, doesn't it? Yeah. The, the Jeff James podcast, I'm trying to make a note of the things that you're mentioning so I can link out to them in the show notes. But um, the thing I remember um, most vividly from that and I've, I've talked about a few times since was um, a, a girl who he worked with when asked, you know, what did she consider herself to be good at? And it was making mashed potato. <laughs> um and uh, and he oh sorry and uh he talked about how um yeah he used that as a jumping off point um and it felt felt like a very unlikely one but actually it was something that meant something to her mm. um I um, wanted to just um, come back on the reading intervention briefly, because I think there will be people listening in thinking I need this programme uh, for the child I'm caring for or in my school. Is there a programme that people can uh, sign up to or will it be published or how does that uh, we
1: Yeah, we are what we're really hoping to do, um, you know, depending on circumstances and uh, restrictions and all this kind of thing is, is, is again, uh, Launch this study again to get sort of wider results, and we do uh, want to publish it then because um, we've got a report that is published from the first study uh, as part, um, and I think it's probably available on the UCL website, the PALAC um, resources webpage, I think, uh, that details this and the results that we're getting in that. Um, and and Catherine Carroll is work has worked on and, and hoping to pick this work up soon. Um, a sort of a guidebook for this really yeah because it's a it's a it's almost and she talks about it as a no intervention intervention you know we'd love to get those off the shelf interventions to our <laughs> they, oh get a big folder and it's got session one session two and all that kind of thing in it but and I, th- and I think this does have real imp- in uh, implications for tutoring and and you know this whole national tutoring program uh which is sort of you know obviously you know children do need to catch up and we we do need to help and support them and and often on a one-to-one basis but what is the way that works best really and and kind uh, and my feeling from working in this is that um not that tutors are you know are bad but going away and, and working with um uh, tutors completely separate from the school or you know doing completely a different program of work or um that's not linked and doesn't make the links between them and what they're doing um you know I, I don't know it just it, it doesn't ring with what we found in our intervention uh, that it has to be about um and I, I suppose particularly for um uh, the kinds of children we were working with particularly uh, that it didn't it you know it doesn't have those things in place about uh, does it work from their strengths or from, you know, from certainly from their specific needs? Does it work from their interests? And, and is it led by someone they've, they've got a trusting relationship with already so that they can kind of get straight into the focus of the work? You don't have to spend five weeks or six weeks or however long it takes building up a relationship with someone. Um, before you can actually get, the, get down to the work and that, you know, that's hard as well. So I think it, it has got some really good implications. That, you know, we'd love to, you know, we, yeah, that's one of the things we do want to do, publish this further and, work and, and, and create this kind of guidebook for you know, what we think would be a really effective way to run an intervention like this. But there's nothing, and there's, we do list kind of things that have worked and the good ideas and, and resources that people have used over the, the past two interventions. Uh, but there's no kind of oh you must do this and this is the sequence you've got to follow because, again, we found that it needs to be personalised for the for the child for the individual, um, and, and and schools and carers and and having that that additional input from someone like a specialist teacher or a uh, ed psych it was also really key there as well. Um, so yes, currently, as I say, yeah, we're we're a bit we're only halfway through that work really, and we do want to sort of move that on. And we're hoping, you know, to launch, who knows, from September, we'd really like to run this study again on a wider scale um, and and have some more results that we can really show people. Um, But yeah, that first year PALAC um, uh, intervention is, is is part of what UCL have already published.
0: Okay that's really helpful just I think yeah it sounds so good I'm sure people will want to do it but I think it sounds then it's it's as much as anything a kind of an ethos and a, and a culture of uh, reading and sharing and that people can do that right away but we can keep in touch and maybe we can support with a sharing some of those ideas um, and b then um, you know if you do roll that study out further we can help with with recruitment and things like that. Yeah I love that. I had one uh, kind of final, fairly gnarly question, which uh, I think you saw coming on Twitter, which was really what is the role of the social worker mm-hmm. in all of this?
1: Yeah. Well, I, I think if that when I saw that, I thought that is a great question here because, but I think it goes back to that whole idea of corporate parenting. You know, that term, corporate parenting, it's so horrible, isn't I it? <laughs> it? I hate it. Um, but what that actually means are, you know, but um, what the person with parental responsibility is, is their role, really. And often that is the social worker, isn't it? You know, they hold this that kind of specific um, thing of parental responsibility within this wider idea of, of for children in care, um, obviously depending how they're in care, as it were, um, of corporate parenting. But it really makes me... Th- basically, I think they should... that The parenting part is the, is the role there. Now, they're not replacing families and parents. But uh, Lemcy Say talks about it brilliantly. Uh, you know, he talks about uh, if this social care system was was fully functioning, was amazing, was working so well for our, our children in care. Uh, we not, no, he he's made, he's being flippant and he's making a joke as as Lemcy Say does. But he says, um, you know, if we a measure of how we know it was really working well was that middle-class parents would want to get their children in care because they were getting a better deal and they would be, you know, and that's uh, uh, that's his joke to say, though, is, uh, you know, are we are these children getting the, you know, the advantages, you know, we call them disadvantaged children, don't we? How are we ensuring that they are, um, you know, being uh, given the same advantages of, of, of other children with... With um, supportive families, uh, pushy parents—you know, all that kind of thing—that want that constantly are kind of uh, pushing, in the very nicest way. I don't want anyone to misinterpret what I'm saying here, but pushing their children to the front of the queue, as it were, or getting those advantages for their children, and, and and making sure they're not missing out on things and all that. And and that is, for me, what you know, all in our corporate parenting role should be about. Really, we. Are, if that's not there in a child's life for whatever reason um you know or was not been there in the past and we are taking on that role then we need to be you know i always think you know we need you need to think like a, a you know a stereotypical pushy parent or or whatever um again in the nicest possible way but you know we need to be there advocating for that child for their whole lives for their future for you know for now and for their future as well and i think I suppose in, in that question, going back to that question, I'm saying it's not just about finding them a safe place to be and to live, it's about everything, isn't it? And so we do say to social workers, and we you know, we want people in wider roles to, to see that wide role, to accept that current corporate parenting role. Um, and in Lincolnshire, one of the things we've done is, you know, stop talking about, I mean, I've said it a few times this morning, you have to train yourself, don't you? But rather than talking about looked after children, we talk about our children. So using this word, our children, um, and we use it in a lot of our documentation or, you know, when we're talking to groups of people, um, or we're talking about to foster carers or social workers or other you know children's services teams we say about our children because they're ours and um we want for them the same that we would want for our own children as it were um and that's kind of I suppose I hope that answers that question really because yeah they've just got to think like that think wider than move on as I said move on from safeguarding move on from surviving to thriving think wider think about our children and what they need and what we would want for them um whoever they are
0: I love that phrase our children and I remember when I spoke at the virtual schools network event in uh, Lincolnshire that was one of the things that I think I ended up getting on my soapbox about because um, yeah uh, yeah, the the differences in terms Um, and it's it's difficult because "looked after children or children looked after is a term that people understand and in a slightly wider context if we say our children then we can't differentiate that particular group that we're talking about but actually that's kind of the point here isn't it we want all of our children to just be our children but sometimes we need to be able to give them that extra bit of support but I love it I love our children um what um what thought would you like to to kind of close with what's the thought that you would like to leave in people's minds as we wrap up what's been a thank you for such a great conversation <laughs>
1: Yeah, I don't know, we, you you asked me, um, I went I had to fill in my little thing about, you know, some books that I, are really influential for me, and I wave this book, at, I love this book, this is my, the book of my life, as it were, not my life, because I've lived this life, but... Tell, tell the um, listeners what book it is, because... So um, I'm waving it about, yeah, <laughs> this is a listening it's a great book. <laughs> Classic. Um, a Kestrel for a Knave, Barry Hines, or if you've seen the film Kes, you know, you'll know that um, story. Um. And, and I, I've pinned this tweet to the top of my sort of timeline, really, because I, when I think about that, and I, you know, think I, I used to think about that with uh, as a teacher, you know, about children um, uh, learn learn when they are loved, you know, and 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 they because they love what and then they love what they learn um you know and and he uh, is classic example of that you know uh, all disadvantage and 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 um you know growing up in a seemingly fairly uncaring home and um a bleak future and all that kind of thing in school and but and and written off you know as a troublemaker and as a as a you know not going to achieve anything and yet. You know, he he found this love of this kestrel and he went to the library and demanded books about falconry and he read them and, and he'd never read a book before, you know, and all that kind of thing because he loved it. Um, and also when someone took interest in him, you know, that one teacher that did take some interest in what he did and realised, gosh, he's got such ability there and skill and strength and... um you know so he loved he you know if we had children that felt loved and felt supported how much better they would do and and when they love what they're doing as well that they um how much better they do so uh not to finish on a negative but you know teaching about fronted adverbials doesn't uh, inspire love of learning does it but you know finding out what children love or, or are interested in or would really want to know about that's what brings love of learning I think that's the key to a lot of it really as well.